Welcome to the Money Grows on Trees podcast. I'm Damien Medici, the Melbourne Broker. A podcast that's changing communication and education around all things money, mindset, and motivation. Money doesn't grow on trees. Well, we're here to tell you that it does and show you how. Everybody, welcome to Money Grows on Trees, episode two of our podcast. I have with me today our lovely co-host, Isha. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. What's, uh, what are we talking about today, Isha? So today we're going to speak about the great Australian dream. Or the Australian dream. Or the Australian dream. I mean, disclaimer, it could be different to everyone. Not everyone wants to buy a house. They might want to be a pop star or take over the world. Who knows? But for today's topic, we I've are I've heard going... you sing and you can't be a pop star, just FYI. Wow, my dream's just shattered. <laughs> Um, but no, in all seriousness, today we're going to be speaking about the the great Australian dream, which essentially is, Damien? Well, I feel like it's changed over time, but it is to buy property, to be able to purchase a property that you can live in, whether it be of a mortgage, having a mortgage, or just being able to enter the property market. We all know that it's extremely hard to get into the market and buy your first property. So the Australian dream for as long as I know has been to be able to purchase your own property. And to this day, it's still quite prominent. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of us growing up, we, you know, we had that instilled in us as well. I know I did um, growing up. It was, you know, save, um, save your money, buy a house, invest, make something of yourself. So, you know, regardless of of your upbringing or your background or or whatever it is, um, I think, you know, across Australia, it is is a really big dream um, more and more, especially in today's environment when things are getting quite expensive and the dream's a little bit out of reach, but it's still Well, with prices going up so much year on year, and obviously there's some years that have gone a little bit down, but you know, it is getting away from us. And for as long as I've been in the industry, I've noticed that it is getting harder and harder for people to get into the market. Um, there are a number of ways which people still get into the market, which is probably another topic for another day. But, you know, things like mum and dad helping out and government incentives and there's a whole lot of features which, we, which we'll um, talk about on our next topic, I believe. So on that, let's say that I am looking to get into the housing market. How do I go about it? What do I need to know? So where do I start? Where do I start? This is probably the biggest thing that a lot of people don't really know what to do. And naturally they gravitate towards mum and dad or a mentor and they get a bit of advice from them. And mum and dad will tell them about their experiences or their mentor, whoever it may be, that they go to for advice. We'll give them will give them their opinion on what they should do. And that generally is, you know, you need to have some savings behind you. You need to seek some advice from a bank or a broker. Now you know that I'm a broker, so I'm always going to say that you should go see a broker for certain reasons. But if you do go see a bank and they give you advice, then that's still a good starting point. Always get a second opinion and see a broker, FYI. But... So that's generally what people will do. They will speak to mum or dad, a mentor. Then they would, I would recommend them to get some advice from a professional that would um, guide them in the right direction about, you know, what they need to do. 
a broker, could be a financial advisor, could even be a well-educated real estate agent. I normally say work around 10% of the property that you're looking to buy. And it's funny because I don't know about when you looked at your first property, but did you have an idea around the value you wanted to buy? Because what I tell a lot of people is with your savings, and obviously you need to be working as well, but you want to work towards having at least 10% of your savings put away around the purchase price of you're looking of your purchase of the property you're looking to buy. So what I mean by that is if you're looking to buy for six hundred thousand, it'd be a really good goal to have sixty thousand saved or be working towards that. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I was looking for my first property, which was almost ten years ago now. You're I'm turning thirty soon, right? I'm getting old. Um so I remember my you know, my parents going on about you need 20% deposit because then you'll get hit with LMI and I'd be like, what the hell is this LMI thing? It sounds scary as hell. But I was, you know. It was, Do you know how many people get scared by LMI? Well, it sounds scary. <laughs> I was scared. So, I mean, different times, you know, it was, it was a lot. It was cheaper 10 years ago, obviously. And um, just to let people know, what is LMI? It's, I'm going to be really quick. Lenders Mortgage Insurance, more commonly known as LMI, is an insurance that you, the bank charges you when you're borrowing more than 80% of the value of the property. Okay, there's some lenders that now do 85%, but a general rule is you would need at least 20% plus cost in order to avoid lenders' mortgage insurance. So that's all that it is. It doesn't do anything for you. It purely protects the bank. So a bit of bank talk there just to... So people might be wondering what it actually is, but that's the simplest way to explain it. Yeah. Um, another question that I wanted to ask, and I think this comes up in in general conversation when you're looking for a property or, or you know, wherever you're at, is let's say I've found a home, but I don't know if it's going to be a good investment down the track in 10, 20 years' time, if I don't know what I'm going to, if I'm going to sell it or whatnot, is it going to be a good investment? Do I, Is that something I need to consider? Because I know for me that was drilled into my mind with any sort of purchase or house I was looking at. It's a really good question that you ask. Um, and I might actually go one step back and say, why, why was that drilled into your mind? Who told you that? I think it was just growing up. Um, you know, and I know even with conversations I've had with you when we've been sort of looking at property or whatnot, I I would always say, well, this would be a good investment and then you go on about yield and return and all this sort of stuff that goes over my, my head. But it's still drilled into me and I, I don't actually know why. I honestly think it was just my upbringing and, you know, y- your parents and holding on to, yep. to money and, and wanting to have that security. So I'm really big on this and I tell a lot of people, which I've told you before as well, I've mentioned to you in conversations that we've had, is that you don't want to get confused between what is a good investment and what is a good home for me to live in. The same way you don't want to get confused that when you go look for an investment property, property, you don't want to think, is this a good property for me to live in? Because there's certain aspects that go against each other. And what I mean by that is you might be looking for a home to live in that you want a lot of natural lighting, you want a north-facing backyard, because these are things that you would like to have in a home that you're going to be living in every day, mm-hmm. right? You might go look for an investment property that doesn't need to have those same factors 
for it still to be a good investment property. It might have good potential growth based on historically what it's done. It might have a good rental yield. So it might have rental yield is, it might have a good rental return. Um, it could be a property that could be potentially developed. So you know that there's room to improve the value by you doing things. You could improve the value by doing renovations. So there's certain things that you look at from each perspective. So my advice is don't get them confused because they are two completely different goals. And the moment you start to try and intertwine them, I do feel like you'll get a little bit lost with what it is that you're looking to achieve. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, when you when you are considering an investment property, you don't actually think, oh, is this going to be a good home for me to, to live in? You think of it as an investment. So channeling that same mindset when you're looking for a home and, and thinking about it as a home as opposed to an investment is, you know, it makes sense. But even with that, I mean, with what I do and I've spoken to, we've helped many people. Um, I remember one client that was looking, honestly, she was probably looking for about three years for a property. Mm. And I was there with her through the journey the whole time. And she'd always say to me, I didn't like, I didn't like it. It didn't feel very homely. And I'm like, okay, but do you think it's a good investment? And even until she bought, she ended up buying something that she would live in, but she did, she didn't live in it, Right. Sometimes you can't change the way people think. But what I would like to put out there is it's really important not because she missed out on buying for three years. Mm. That's three years of growth Yeah. because you're getting too picky about it. So it's important to look for certain things in line with your goal because, and I use the example of natural lighting, I know that when we buy a property, each is my partner, by the way, if you haven't gathered, when we buy a property, we would like to have natural lighting and we would like sun. I need the sun. Sun makes everyone a little bit happy. Mm-hmm. So there's different aspects you look for in different types of properties. So be aligned with your goals. If that answers it, it I does. think it's a good way. Yeah. Um, the last question I had in regards to this is, what else do I need to budget for when buying a home? I know um, I know this stumps a few people. I've got some some friends and some younger cousins who are looking at buying their first home and they you know they've said to me, I've got my deposit and you know I flagged a couple of other mm. items that are going to come up and they've said, what do I need to factor that in? So if you could just let everyone know what are some of the other, you know, annoying things that you have to budget for and consider when you are buying a home? It's a really good question. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people realize until they get to the final stages of buying a property. So there's things like rates. You know, you need to pay your rates every year. You need to now take out home and content insurance. If you are renting, you probably should have content insurance already. If you don't, it's probably a good idea to get that in place because I remember when I was working in the bank and I'll go a little bit off off the rails of what you asked here, but I remember when I was working at the bank and I used to sell content insurance to my clients that I would think that nearly, I would go as far as saying 70% of people that were renting didn't have content insurance. 
because I didn't think of it. Can and I you, just... you were one of them. <laughs> when I first moved out and was renting, I did not want to get contents insurance because I was a cheapskate. Yep. Like, whatever, I don't need it. And then so when we moved in together, you piggybacked no, off mine. And... No, no, no. Well, yes, but I figured that out before I met yeah. you to get contents insurance because it's... things go wrong. Yep. And you know, yeah, God right. forbid if you have a robbery or if something mm-hmm. gets lost, even your phones nowadays, phones, laptops, there's, you know, we're all around electronics, but that's that's a different topic for another day. But it's really important to have content insurance and home insurance. Um, you know, you need to account for repairs. You need to also um, ensure that your council rates and water rates are being covered. So what I normally say, and it does vary from from property to property, but I be really conservative when I have conversations with people and I say, look, I think you should allow around about $400 a month to be safe, even 300 to cover you for those ongoing costs. So I think rates are normally about 1500 a year. You know, I think your con- time and content, you should get, be able to get a good policy for around about four to five hundred a month a year, um, your your rates for your water, are, are, I think they're around about maybe. I think if you allow thirty dollars a month, you should be covered for that. They're only about a few hundred dollars a quarter, and then obviously your normal expenses. If you are living with mum and dad, there's even more things you need to look at now because there's things such as power, gas, and water usage. So if you're coming from renting, you'll know some of the expenses will carry through to buying. Mm-hmm. But if you're going from mum and dad to a new property, I'd probably say even allow maybe 500 a month. Just on that as well, I guess depending on what you're buying, whether it's an apartment or a freestanding home, there, there are different mm. things with that as well, aren't there? Yeah. So if you buy, in a pro- if you buy a property in a, in a complex, more commonly known as a strata, so a strata is a common area shared by by um by multiple people. So you'll see if you've got three or four units in, you know, on one block, one block, and you've got a common driveway, that the that the strata will the um body corporate will cover the insurance for that because it's a common ground and you can't it cannot be separated by individual titles. So you won't be able if you're in a if you're in a body corporate they will take over the um the building insurance. Whereas if you're an apartment, it's obviously very similar. But if you're on your own property, then you need to take care of that. Yeah, cool. All right. So we've got rates, council fees, water, repairs, home insurance, content strata. I think everybody that was having about the Australian dream was just kind of like sounds like a bit of a nightmare to be honest. Look, but it's not. No, it's not. And I think if you bring it back to having your budget which is really important. And I'll talk about that a lot because, um, you know, you might go see a bank and they will tell you your payments could be a lot more than what you're comfortable with spending. It's really, really important to live with your repayments on your loan and your outgoings from a comfort point of view. Live within your means, people. Because um, you don't want to stop living. Like there's more to life than just buying a property. And although it's a great Australian dream, you still want to 
gonna cringe when I hear this back, but you still want to have smashed avo like you do. <laughs> There's things that you still want to be able to do, and whether you want to splurge here and there on some clothing, or you want to go for a, a yearly holiday with your partner, or whether it be on your own, or you still want to do things, you need to factor that in because when you get a mortgage, look. It's scary, but you get really comfortable with it quite quickly when you've got it. And you would know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you first got a property, you were probably like, oh, my God, this is, I'm shitting myself. Yeah. And then you got comfortable with it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I went from, I bought my first, first property when I was living with my parents. So I didn't really know anything. Other than, <laughs> I mean, I knew some things. I didn't know, um, you know, rates. I had an, an understanding because I'm pretty good with my research. But still, until you start paying and the bills start coming through and, you know, you're getting letters all of a sudden that aren't just junk mail, it's actually bills. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an eye-opening experience. Um, I think if you've gone from renting, there's a bit more motivation there and understanding because, I know when I was, you know, I mean, I bought my first property and then rented, but I know um, even through friends, you know, the motivation there's even more because they don't want to be paying off someone else's mortgage. They want to buy for, for other reasons as well, which is. Something which is that great. I learned. Um, I don't remember where I was told this, but I remember it from a long time ago. And we're going to talk about reinvesting in another podcast because I know there's been a lot of feedback from my socials that people want to know about rent vesting. So we are going to do rent vesting uh, soon. But for anybody that is renting that's scared about getting a mortgage, I just want you to remember this. You're already paying off a mortgage. It's just not yours. Mm. So you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. So if you have that mindset, it doesn't actually become scary. You're. It's just a matter of building up your savings finding an area that you're comfortable with living, knowing what's important to you so you can maintain a good lifestyle, living within your means, having a budget. You put all that together and you're well-planned. Mm. You'll be fine. And after all, it is a great Australian dream, so why wouldn't you want to do it? Yeah. And I think there is, you know, there's such benefit to it. And I know, you know, we spoke about it sounding like a bit of a nightmare, but I know for me when I, when I bought, I was 20 years old. And, um, you know, to have my first property then, I sort of just, you know, I, I, I did the, the stock standard thing. I went to school, went to uni, um, found a property, my third year uni, um, went into a grad role straight away and, and all, that, all that sort of stuff, which, um, you know, again, was, was an upbringing and yeah. a, a story very similar to my older brother and sister that I wanted to follow, um, but I didn't really know the benefit of it. So when my friends were going off to Europe and doing all this stuff and I had a mortgage at 20, 21, I hated it. I thought, oh, my God, why have I done this? Like I have responsibilities yeah. now. I can't just be going out all the time. I mean I was, but I can't be going overseas and doing all these things Um and, you know, even through uni, I would work two jobs. The work ethic was there. but So did it? So did you find that when you had the mortgage that it increased, as in, did, as in your motivation? Yeah. Well, I think it was just a responsibility. You know, I couldn't yeah. even just taking time off work, you but know. that's what happens, right? So when you go, when you dive into something that you're scared, that you're scared about initially, when you take the plunge and you do it, what ends up happening is as 
as human beings, we become more motivated to ensure that we keep that right. So it's similar to people that have been um, earning a certain amount of money and they've been spending a certain amount of money. They will never fall beyond that because they will always make sure they do whatever they can to maintain that lifestyle because they cannot go backwards. Yeah. So that's, for example, salespeople that do really well and they keep dri being driven and driven by more sales so mm -hmm. they make more money. It's no different to when you, you'll be very surprised at what happens to you instinctively as a human. You just become a lot more motivated to work and pay your mortgage because that becomes your number one priority. Mm. So it's probably more scarier before you do it. And then when you do it, you're like, okay, I got this. Yeah. But I must admit, you know, years down the track, even, even a few years down the track when I was looking to buy another property, I was so happy that I I took that initial leap. And, you know, th those same friends and, and new friends along the way said, oh, my God, you were so clever for for buying a house at 20. And, I, you know, I, I said, I'm, I'm not. I just listened to my parents. And I, you know, I did have the same goal of property. I always loved property. My parents loved property. Um, and I, it was instilled and they said, you know, we wish we were like that. And, and I preach it now to, to everyone younger than me. I, I sound like my parents. Um, but. And see, I wasn't. Yeah. I was the complete opposite. But that's the difference though. So you had the same goal, but a different upbringing. Whereas I sort yes. of followed Sue and I'm grateful for it, but you went against against. The well, yeah, I mean, I think I spoke about it in the last one. I mean, I did. I my parents were immigrant Italians, and you know, much like your parents, they were educated enough by being in the city and learning and and being here. And you know, my we grew up on a farm. We weren't exposed to more education, so we only learned that when we moved, when me and my oldest brother moved to Melbourne. So, regardless of where you are or where you've come from, I still really believe that anybody can achieve the great Australian dream and you've just got to get the right research. You need to make sure that you've you've got a target in mind, you know what you're working towards and honestly, anybody can achieve it. If you just got to put your mind to it, you've got to put your head down, thumb up and just go, go, go. Whether that means working two jobs, whether that means saving every dollar you've got and not going out for a year, you will reap the rewards. Yeah. And I think, you know, the dream in itself is different for everyone. Yes, it's buying a home, but it's almost a holistic thing is, you know, you want to have that balance. You you want to live and you want to be happy and you want to have that motivation, but you want to almost tick all the boxes. And for me, that's the dream. The dream is having that balance, having that financial security, but also having the smash dabber on a Sunday brunch and not feeling bad about it and having further goals as well of what I want to accomplish and investments and things like that. So the dream's not a cookie cutter dream. It's not black and white. It's what works for you and you ultimately need to be happy and need to be able to to live that dream and be accountable for it as well. You've summed it up very well for us, Isha. Thank you for being our co-host and who knows, you may be on a few more. I think you will. Oh, wow. I would like to point out that um, any advice we give on these podcasts is generally nature. It's purely for educational purposes. It does not take into account your individual circumstances and, and is not to be taken as individual advice. Please seek personal advice given to your scenarios. With that being said, we hope you've loved today's podcast. It's been about the great Australian dream. Isha, thank you again for coming on. It was lovely having you. 
Thanks for having me and thanks for, for the listeners listening. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure to, to speak about something we're passionate about. So hopefully it was informative. Um, I'm sure everyone will get some out of it. So thank you again. And until next time, stay safe and save your money.